Hey friends, before we dive into the episode, I've got something for healthcare professionals. Healthcare professionals, if you're locuming or going to locum, navigating it through multiple agents and agencies can be stressful. Back and forth emails and timesheets aren't needed in this era. What if there was an app where you could see the shift, the total pay, the hours and request to book it there and then? Well, there is. Locum's Nest connects healthcare professionals digitally to the NHS staff bank. The app connects already over 50,000 healthcare professionals to vacant work in over 50 NHS trusts and growing. Check it out yourself. That's Locum Nest. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have with us another amazing guest. We have with us Dr. Nabila Laska, who's a senior cardiologist working in London. She's currently taking some time out to pursue a PhD. And what's interesting is she has a super engaging Instagram where she kind of says her insights, her day-to-day. And interesting enough, was told she's too nice to be a cardiologist. I can vouch she does seem super nice having met her for only a few minutes. Um, a massive pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome Nabila. to the show. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Let's get into this. So, <laughs> so before we kind of take it all the way back to young Nabila when you, you know, decided you want to grow up and be a doctor, tell us about this too nice to be a cardiologist just to kind of give an insight to our listeners. Well, I mean, I was early on in my training. I'd already got a number by then and um, I had just I was the hard-working person the person who would stay behind um, try and get everything done and clear my list make sure there was no referrals before I left and often it would you know I'd require be required to just stay late call up the consultants make sure that they were happy I often had that approach with generally everything Mm -hmm. and um, one of the consultants found me one day and we were just having a coffee um, after a cath lab list and um, he just said you know don't do this don't don't do this job you're too nice you're too hard working you know people will walk all over you um, you know that there are other specialties that you can do where you'll be genuinely valued and I just thought well mm. I can change that I can you know they, we have a whole new generation of people now who want to do cardiology so why not mm-hmm. and um I think I think that's that's important because nowadays when medical students come into their clinics and they meet, you know, they're on the ward round, they often get either um, they feel very nervous or they often get put on the spot. Mm. And it happened to me. It happened to it happens to everyone. And those people stay with them, and that puts them off that particular specialty yeah, or absolutely. you know the the kind of working ethic. And it's it's not nice because. You know, we're, we're losing people who are potentially amazing candidates or yeah. good doctors, good cardiologists in any field, really. Oh. And I think, yeah, I think that's I think that's something that it, people shouldn't be concerned about at all. So that's where it came from. But it just no. made me want to do it even more. Yeah, so. definitely. <laughs> and I think you touched on an important point and we've seen it. It's a lot of people have particular specialties they want to pursue, but because they had such a bad experience with the clinician at that time, mm they kind of been put off it for life. And we've met consultants saying, I wish I wanted to do X, Y, and Z, but I had this awful consultant, I had this awful mm-hmm. reg, and it put me off. Um, so definitely do echo. And I think you recently shared that you were with a medical student who kind of loved that experience with you. Um, and I know you're a reg and, you know, as medics, we're quite busy, but to kind of give them the time and explain to them the specialty is quite important, to be fair. Yeah, I really do think nurturing the education 
right from medical school, even A-levels. Mm-hmm. It, it shows the field in a good light. And I think nowadays that's what we need to do. You know, yeah. we've been seen in such a bad light recently um, in the press, etc. And I think that we need to be true ambassadors for medicine in general mm-hmm. and with, for the NHS. And, um, you know, I try and maintain that with all of my students and even people who approach me through my account who need help or mm. who are, want to pursue cardiology or who just want some more information, I always try and portray it in a good light. I mean, every specialty has its good and its bad yeah. point. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's it's about loving what you do and all the resource problems, all the system problems, that, that's going to be there. But I always say do what you love first and make mm. sure that you're doing something for the rest of your life that you genuinely want to do. And then the rest you can handle yeah absolutely absolutely um so saying all of that now take us all the way back to a young nabila take us through the journey by which you are here today as a cardiology registrar oh well you know what? i've been listening to some of your podcasts um recently and it's no different to everyone else really mm-hmm. um i always wanted to do medicine i think i mm-hmm. i think i always knew my grandfather was a doctor mm-hmm. and I just assumed that I would do it. I was good at sciences. I was good, I was good at math. And it just led on from there, really. Um, a lot of the girls, I went to a, a girls' grammar school, so a lot of the girls that I were, was studying with, they mm. all kind of wanted to do those something science-based. Mm. So we all just went to uni together, really. And it's, yeah, it stems from there. And I've never looked back. There have been some problems, but I think um, what's interesting is that people don't realize the sacrifice that mm. you have to make. Mm. Um, and it, it's not just, oh, I want to be a doctor. And many South Asian families are like, yes, my child will be a doctor. And you, <laughs> you, you, think, you think that you will because you'll make your parents mm. proud. And But it's a lot of self-determination and you need to want it for yourself because, you know, it's just, it's impossible to stay in a field if you're not enjoying it or if you're sacrificing and you're not doing it for the real reasons or for mm. the right reasons. So, no, um, yeah. And then I went to medical school and I enjoyed myself probably a bit too much actually. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I enjoyed myself. I think it's so important to have some fun at, at the same time. So mm, definitely. where did you study? Where was med school for you? So I went, we went, I went to QM. Okay. QMUL, nice. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was funny. I, um, had, I had a tour around Bart's, the actual hospital, and I yeah. thought, this is just beautiful, and I, I, this is going to be my first choice. Yeah. Um, I didn't really read that there were a lot of the lectures would be in Mile End, Whitechapel, yeah. and the, <laughs> the contrast between yeah. St. Paul yeah. and, and Mile End is so vast. <laughs> we've, we've, we've heard that a lot, yeah. As <laughs> um, you sign up, and then you end up in a, in a very alien place if you're not familiar with it. Um, yeah. Especially moving exactly. into London, a lot of people kind of moved into London and thought London's this super cool place, having kind of hang around in, you know, central London, Camden, and they end up <laughs> in London, and it's a shock to the system. But it's it was, part of the journey. It was very interesting how you said QM, because if we say, oh, you're a QM medic, people, they'd roll their eyes and go, no, I'm a Bart's medic, because there's a real sort of pride in the, the Bart's. I'm proud. <laughs> yeah. I'm proud. I'm proud. <laughs> amazing. Tell amazing. us... Um, so a, a big thing we make on the podcast is, you know, everyone's super successful and it seems like you became a cardiologist overnight without any barriers or obstacles and, mm. you know, you were married and had kids. Tell us about some difficult moments you faced while as a medical student at um, QM and how you overcame them. 
I mean, I've had so many difficult, um, I've had so many obstacles throughout my path. I mean, I didn't even know I wanted to do cardiology until mm. I was a foundation trainee. Mm. I had always thought I would do neurology. I loved learning about, you know, I always thought of neurology as a puzzle and trying to find out where the lesion was. And I really mm. loved that kind of, you know, that that intellectual part of learning. And I loved learning about it in mm. theory. Mm. Um, and I did a neuroscience BSc. I went externally and did a neuroscience BSc. And I loved learning about all the neuro, you know, all the neurodegenerative diseases. And, you know, it was just fascinating to me. And then I got a job in my foundation year and um, it just wasn't the same. There's, <laughs> there's very little you can do for the patients. Yeah. It's a lot of multidisciplinary work. It's a lot of speaking to physios, speech and language therapy, family. Um, it's a lot of multidisciplinary work, which is fine, but I didn't feel like I was making much of a difference to the patients. You know, the patients, there's only so much you can do, mm. um, you know, for patients who have MS, for example, or quite, mm. or, you know, significant strokes, um, people who have like really, really significant problems. I didn't think that I would make much of a difference or the difference that I found that I could make was less in my role as a doctor and more in my role as just a, a member of the multidisciplinary team yeah. and just coming fresh out of medical school you know that's not what you want you want to be saving lives yeah. and you want to be <laughs> you know you want to be that person who mm. made that call and saved that life for example yeah um so it really did kind of put me off because i'm very organized and i try and plan out everything um mm. and i didn't actually know what i wanted to do but then i did cardiology in my foundation year mm. And I loved it. I just loved, I loved coming in so early and prepping the list and knowing yeah. all my patients and impressing my consultant with, you know, <laughs> the fact that I knew all of them. And I loved staying late and getting all the bloods ready. And then when it was, you know, when a STEMI would come in, I'd love, go, you know, going to clerk them and then seeing them come out afterwards and mm. thanking the team for saving their lives and then speaking to the family who were shocked that, you mm. know, they, their family member had just had a heart attack, etc. So I just loved the thrill and adrenaline rush of that. And the emergencies were just amazing. I used to see how my registrars would be contacted and they'd kind of, you know, kind of save the day or they'd mm. go and help with something that one of the other medical registrars didn't know how to do. Uh, and no offense to any of the other yeah. medical registrars, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I loved that. And so then I changed and I um, decided that perhaps cardiology was for me. Um, but I didn't really think about the next five years or mm -hmm. the next 10 years I thought I'd be 24 25 all my life you know <laughs> and I loved the fast-paced nature of the job but eventually you know life goes on I got married um mm. I wanted to start a family mm. and all of the things that I thought I would be doing it it you know it wasn't the same and um but I still loved the field and I couldn't see myself doing anything else so um yeah, I mean, I made, you know, a personal decision to start a family very early on in training. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been difficult because I've, you know, come into training, you know, with children. Um, and, you know, being pregnant and being in your first year as a cardiology registrar had certainly a lot of its um downsides mm -hmm. and I've, I've been through so much I mean if I if you had an hour to go through mm -hmm. all of the kind of um stigmas with being faced with being pregnant yeah. and being in the you know being cardiology and then running a cardiac arrest fully pregnant oh, wow. you How know, was that? People, it, it, 
tough because people think that you can't do it mm. because they're just looking at you and thinking, you know, uh, are you okay? Do yeah. you, are you able to do this? But, mm. you know, you're constantly trying to reassure others and say, you know, I, I'm, st- I'm not ill. It's not an illness. Yeah. I can, mm. I can cope. If, if I can't, I'll tell you, but mm. you know, running for cardiac arrest was tough. Um, you know, but it, it's just one of those things you, you just adapt yourself. Yeah. And I never wanted anyone to feel that they, that I was weaker because I was pregnant. And so often I'd push myself more than mm. I should have done mm. um, to try and keep up to the level that I thought I needed to be. Mm. Um, yeah, so it, it was quite hard. You know, I had a lot of really, really quite uh, rigid consultants who yeah. would, you know, who would just say, oh, you can't take that time off of your antenatal clinic. And I would always make my clinics in the same hospital um, out of hours so after work when I was tired you know it's just there was just so many struggles that I faced mm. but um I'm just glad that now people are able to uh, have a family without yeah. without those you know those those remarks and without any of that stigma um, mm. and I think it's it's a great way forward because that's how we're going to retain amazing trainees and amazing doctors so Exactly. Um, just to give some more insight. So when you were in those sort of specific moments where you thought, ah, this is a this is a really challenging situation. I'm pregnant um, and I'm having to deal with a person or a certain certain circumstance. How did you sort of work your way around that certain sort of circumstance, certain issue, certain person? Because uh, a particular purpose of this podcast is that we have a lot of female listeners and we've had lots of female guests uh, previously also sort of shine light on this where we're often told go for the easier career go for GP because you can cut down your hours you can do a clinic in the morning and pick up your children in the evening etc etc when GP isn't the life they want they want to become a cardiologist or a surgeon or what have you Um, give us insight into that and how you actually dealt with it in the moment what sort of challenges Um, well firstly GP is not is not the easy way exactly, out. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Just to let you know. So, 100%. <laughs> um, I did it as an F2 and I was, I found it so difficult. So I, you know, I really do um, admire all the GPs who Absolutely. are working extremely hard. I think they, they, it, it's not even that, like in a hospital environment, you have the banter of the team. You mm. can, you can mm. kind of vent to other members of the, of the team. You can go out of the room even you know, yeah, um, yeah. and just kind of cool off if you've had to break bad news, for example. Um, but in when I was doing GP and I was seeing patients, I mean, they were just telling me their problems, but it was more like they were handing me their problems mm. and then they were leaving the room. And then I had all these problems just piling up on me. And obviously I was in the room all day. And then you go home, not physically exhausted, but mentally drained from Absolutely. everyone's issues. Mm. And uh, I think that's, that's tough. That yeah. really was very tough and- for me. But anyway, and, I, yeah, I and need... the ability to make because uh, I did it as a job too, and I found it incredibly challenging. Without sort of when you're an ED, you've got bloods, you've got so many numbers exactly. and imaging, and exactly. all you have is a history and maybe the uh, sort of table side obs you can do. Um, and to make a decision yeah. in ten minutes, referral, I just found it incredibly difficult too. Um, but you know how it's painted by everyone. Whether you're at, it starts from university where everyone paints it like this. It's an it's an easy cop out. Uh, whereas the real yeah. real world is very very different so yeah I completely agree very different. Completely. yeah I mean I, I knew I didn't want to do GP because I knew that wasn't the easy way out so it was never an option for yeah. me anyway um 
but all the other specialties I just didn't it didn't give me the spark mm-hmm. and I knew that if I wanted to do cardiology I would have to make sure that I subspecialized in something yeah. that wouldn't take up my entire life mm-hmm. and so I sadly had to um withdraw my my um the the desire for me to do electrophysiology which is what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and I'm now doing cardiac imaging and heart mm-hmm. failure um which I think is a lesser of both evils because I'm still doing the field and I'm still seeing the general cardiology patients but I'm hopefully in the next 10 20 years will not have to get up in the middle of the night and will not have yeah. those crazy unpredictable hours that yeah. my colleagues will have um so I made that decision and I kind of I kind of you know put that to bed and you know made peace with myself that I'm still doing something I love mm-hmm. it may not be exactly the same thing but I probably will thank myself in five to ten years time so yeah, yeah. I think Absolutely. that's the way to go just a bit of foresight into thinking where do I want to be in 10-15 years is it worth exactly. the sacrifice now yeah. mm. um, I didn't have that then and but a lot yeah. of the students now the medical students now and the young trainees they do and I admire them so yeah. much for that they really they they they're not caught up in it whereas I was caught up in the whole thing I didn't have any breaks nothing yeah and if you don't have any breaks you can't take a step back and really analyze and think about what you're going to do mm. and yeah I mean if there's one piece of advice I would say I would say take you know gaps if it's a natural gap that's better you know in between yeah. f2 and tra- core training um or be- in between core training and your registrar training mm. but definitely take gaps because definitely. that's so important yeah, yeah. We, we advocate the same yeah. as well. And you're right, the new cohort of medics coming through, they're like so tech savvy, so career savvy, and they're all like entrepreneurs already, and they all got little startups. <laughs> and I'm looking back at my time and, you know, I couldn't tell the difference. I was so caught up, right, in mm-hmm. the whole world of medicine and kind of rushing to become a consultant. So I think it is a good positive change and that hopefully feeds through to NHS. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. It, it comes from sort of our registrars and consultants sharing their experience what they think in hindsight and yeah. saying you know what like mr caval the plastic surgeon yeah. who said um you know what take the beautiful scenic route it might be a couple of years longer but you'll love it a lot more um so yeah completely yeah. like really grateful actually to that generation that are saying you know what slow down a little and love learn to love the career yeah. so absolutely I think... Absolutely. I mean, I had that natural, sorry, I had that natural break when I had children. I had, yeah. I was off on maternity leave and I was luckily early on in my training. So I didn't have to, I hadn't had made the decision about my subspecialty. Um, but that's when I really did realize that, okay, this is, this is the turning point where I either choose what I think is right for myself and my family, or I continue on this, um, you know, on this, on this dream path that yeah. may not hmm. actually be worth it. Uh, yeah <laughs> um kind of bouncing off Amzi's point of it's really refreshing to see senior clinicians you know sharing their life their day-to-day giving insights so as juniors we can see oh do you know what that's what it's like to be a cardiology reg or cardiology consultant tell us about your instagram and because it's a new thing right a few years ago instagram didn't exist clinicians weren't sharing their day-to-day no one ever took a picture inside the hospital and put it for the public how did that come about um and you know how it's all unfolded yeah so my instagram started after i had my second child it was more of a like just sharing my life i was alone on maternity leave i had no one to talk to when i came home i would just 
talk at my husband and he <laughs> said to me you you know like you need to write this down or something because I can't listen to every single thing that you you know you have to say to me but it was difficult because I didn't have any mental stimulation all day and then when he'd come home from work I you know I was just like what about this and what about that and mm. you know what about this idea and and he was exhausted from mm. work um he's an e, he's an ENT reg um mm. so I yeah so he was like just why don't you start social media and so I started it as more of a mummy account so just to yeah. share it just to share my um, experiences. And I followed other mums who had just had children. And then when I went back to work, obviously my situation had changed and um, I wasn't seeing many female cardiology registrars who who had children, who had a young family mm. and how they kind of lived their day to day, you know, coming back home, seeing their children, whether they saw their children and how often what they did with them and then how they just had to switch hats and then go back into work um you know all those kind of things that we deal with day to day that some people may not showcase and so i thought that would be quite good because you know i can also look back back at it one day and and see you know what i used to do so that it started from there and then i had a lot of questions about general cardiac conditions so yeah. you know chest pain etc cetera, etc cetera. and i thought you know i'll, I'll try and cater for that at the same time mm. and that's what I try and do a mix of um and yeah so far I mean it's it's great because I've made so many connections on here mm. amazing and yeah and also you know the, the amount of information that people say that has helped them with you know if they've been diagnosed with something or if I've pointed them in the right direction then it, it's worth it and I, I think you know that's that's the whole point of it so yeah that's we'll see where it takes me yeah I think um when I saw it, I discovered that it was quite engaging and it was like a very real and frank and honest account of your day to day. And you kind of showed how it was as a cardiologist and next you became a mother, like with a click of a finger. Right. And you're looking after your two yeah, daughters, exactly. so, um, which was quite yeah. nice to see. And like you mentioned, there's not many cardiologists sharing that side of things. And it's nice to see, you know, you can have a normal life. You're not just a cardiologist. Um, the one thing I did want to say is how do you feel when you're putting yourself out there to like thousands of followers and you're sharing, you know, certain intimate aspects of your life, like kind of tell us a bit about that. Um, it was a gradual process. I didn't initially do that. And mm. then um, as I formed more connections offline, um, it, I just found that I would watch someone else for that reason. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I thought, I mean, if, if I'm going to that person's account to see, you know, what they made their children for dinner or what they're doing for the weekend to entertain their children, then mm. surely people will want to know that about me as well. Yeah. Or, you know, how people wind down yeah. or et cetera, or, you know, like how we manage, I was redeployed during the pandemic. So, you know, mm. just our rotors and everything. And I just thought that would be something that people were interested in rather than just, you know, like backing out information yeah. all the time and all the technical stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad that you said that I'm engaging because my husband thinks I talk too much. Yeah. And he's like, you, you, you need to stop talking. It's boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all I do, all I do is just click, 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 click and wait for you to finish. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm, I need to, I need to tell him that. So, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, what, what do you think about in general healthcare professionals and doctors being on social media in the sense that a should we be on it what do you think about the what, what do you think the benefits are for the public as well and healthcare in general um what's your opinion on that well 
I now, you know, there are so many people on social media, yeah. and I think yeah. that's a really good question because where do you draw the line? Sometimes, you know, you have to be mm. so careful. Um, and actually, one of my uh, he was my reg at the time. You probably know him, Rohin. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> he so he started his. Um, he was on Twitter for a while, and I I wasn't on Twitter because I found that too toxic that environment uh, yeah. initially. And then, um, and then he started on YouTube, and he didn't tell anyone. And I found him. I mean, yeah. we're we're friends. I mean, he came to my wedding, so oh, wow. he didn't tell anyone. And um, and and then I found him, and I was like, it, it, "What are you doing?" You know, hundreds and of thousands was, of subscribers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, well, "Is that you? Well, what are you doing?" And you know what? He he needed to do something like that because he is he's literally. He, medicine is his side hustle yeah. like every he's good at everything yeah. else um but he's good at medicine as well yeah. but yeah i mean that's that's the boring part of him yeah. he's just he's done loads of other things too but um i saw it from him and then i thought you know i could just be the female version of him but obviously yeah. not but i just and then i thought okay um he's not sharing so much in terms of clinical things um and then i kind of i you know i i started to share by kind of daily rota and things like that but then there was definitely a moment where someone emailed me and they said um be careful or mm. that yeah they or they messaged me and they said be careful with what you're sharing and uh you know you never know if your patient could be watching and that really hit home mm. and so then i thought you know that's true like i would i'd like my patient if they saw me to you know think the exact same thing they thought of me when they saw me in clinic or during the yeah. consultation or during the cath lab etc yeah so then I I I really I really have thought about what I share but I think with some of these people who are doing vlogs um on YouTube that kind of stuff I you know yeah. I do worry about some of that stuff it's really kind of treading on thin ice sometimes mm. I think where patient confidence confidentiality could be breached um I think there's a fine line, but there are no real guidelines, I don't think, yet yeah. for social mm. media. Um, and that's why it's one, it's, one, it's an unregulated area yeah. at the moment. And yeah. that's why I think there are so many people are kind of crossing boundaries or, you know, and they don't know what they can and can't do, apart mm. from the obvious when you take your oath. Um, but, you know, there are, there are, there are things that, that people share that, are so identifiable without giving yeah. the name or the date of birth mm. um you know but if you've had one patient with one condition that you've ever seen in your life i mean obviously that's going to be identifiable yeah, so exactly. you know no. yeah it's, it's really tough and i think there's a lot of there's a lot of perhaps you know where people are really kind of flying a bit too low yeah um, yeah yeah no Amazing. but you know i think i think yeah i think I think it's it's. I, I definitely say watch this space. I'm sure something is going to happen in terms of yeah. protocol, regulation, all that exactly. kind of stuff. Exactly, definitely. No. Uh, in on the t- on the um, topic of Twitter, because you use the word, it's a toxic environment. Um, so that is, can actually sometimes it actually reflects real life as well. Where in the actual workspace, we can be toxic. Where I've worked under some people, and they've I've seen Regis fight each other almost for just to do one operation and. Uh, just sort of shouting down the phones at each other, not working together when it's over a patient. So chucking patients is one example in ED when people are saying, no, it's not my patient, it's your patient. Um, 
what do you think about that and that goes on do you think it's do you think it's i don't know as in why does it happen with us why does it happen in the nhs especially uh with us doctors where we just fight each other so much i think as humans we're so competitive we're one of the most competitive people mm. and we're we've applied for one of the most competitive jobs and so that's going to come across in anything that we do mm. you know mm. if someone if someone does something automatically someone will say oh but it's only because of this or you know that's that's not that's not a proper prize or you know it's, there's always yeah. like you're, there's yeah. always some sort of competition or some yeah. under like a, you know like a an undercut of, of mm. negativity in most comments and um i think twitter just amplifies that whole yeah. environment so yeah. much and also it's it's a, it's a public platform and you know if patients see how some people talk to each other you know yeah it's embarrassing yeah it really is absolutely no definitely but but this is why we need people like you on the platform so people can see the other side you see otherwise those toxic people get an amplified platform and it's just like oh my god they represent us as well so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely i am on twitter but uh yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard work keeping up an Instagram account, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I don't know how people do multiple platforms and, you know, I, I, I don't know how to do it. So it's true. So true. <laughs> Talking about kind of the workspace and environment, I know you've taken some time out to do research, um, but how does a typical week look like for a cardiologist? Because I know a lot of people are curious to know about that. How mm. is it? Yeah. So we, we have a rotor. Um, we will do... Um, we'll either do a week of being in the cath lab, so we'll be helping out in the intervention coronary cath lab, um, and then the next week we may be doing two clinics or three clinics a week with a mixture of covering on calls maybe in the afternoon, so carrying the bleep and taking over some of the ward work, um, or, and then we'll always have one full week, seven full days straight of where we're ward cover, mm. and that's basically annihilation where we're just oh. with the bleep <laughs> constant troponin rise can, you know yeah. questions i feel guilty um, right now because <laughs> <laughs> we refer we refer hey with troponins up <laughs> yeah so, i mean yeah. you know you can only do what your seniors are doing as well so yeah. everyone does it so <laughs> it's fine. um yeah so, so and then and then you have um you'll have like some time off and then you'll do nights for example, um, it's very varied, but where I work, actually, it, it's the rotors are really nicely structured. You might not believe this, but there are over 30 cardiology registrars where I work. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. There are, there, are, there are loads of us, and we're all kind of grouped into um, intervention. So if you're an intervention registrar, EP registrar, mm. heart failure registrar, oh, imaging, yeah. uh, you know, congenital heart disease basically there are five for each specialty more than uh, subspecialty yeah. more than that and you rotate between each kind of block um and uh so when you're in specific blocks then you do something very you know specific to intervention or ep for example um but i thought i think i think that's good in the sense that the general medical take so whatever you see in a and e mm. sometimes can be very skewed to chest pain you don't necessarily get enough arrhythmias or, yeah. um, you know, managing 
acute heart failures, for example, or dealing with people who've been newly diagnosed with heart failure who may need a transplant, or you know, you you don't you don't tend to see that so much. But in these blocks, you only see those specific things, and so、mm-hmm. you learn how to deal with those patients. And you know, my weakness was always dealing with arrhythmias on call because you know that the proportion of Obviously, removing AS, the proportion of ICD shocks and、yeah. you know, or inappropriate ICD therapies or BT,、um, any kind of SBTs, what drugs to give, what drugs you can't give,、um, all of those things. I, I never was, I didn't feel I was ever strong enough because I never saw it. But during the EP block where I am,、um, that's all you saw, and you just became so much more confident. You know, you you now now obviously、mm. I can manage it, but. That I think the way it's structured is quite good in that sense. So the rotors are based on those specialties, and you、mm. kind of rotate in that sense.、Mm. So you、yeah. do some on call, some clinics, and some labs. There must be something special about cardiology training because every single cardiologist I've ever come across has been sort of so decisive, so confident in their management. I've always thought like. Wow, those, there's something in the water for those guys. <laughs> so yeah, the, the training path here must be special. <laughs> I think it. I think it. I think it attracts those kind of people because with cardiology, you're getting kind of a surgical medical specialty. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, you're and so you're you're you know you're able to do all the medical stuff, which is clever, and、um, and then but you're also doing the procedural stuff, and you're. But you're also being kind of in the centre of it all. So, yeah, I think that's that's why. And so, I, I agree with you, especially the London trainees. Yeah. <laughs> the London cardiology trainees are another level. Another level. I mean,、yeah. if I applied now, I don't think I'd get it. I don't think I'd get enough. <laughs> But、um, we've heard they are. They're, yeah. They're, they're they're incredible. And and you know, and also that the number of candidates who don't get numbers who are exceptional.、Mm. You know. I see every year. You know, they come and do fellow jobs with us, and their CVs are impeccable. But the competition is so high、yeah. that、um, it's it's sad that you see people trying so many times for a number, especially in London. I don't know what it is about the London trainees. I think the training is、um, is good, but also if you want to end up being in London, that's you know that's that's the kind of thing you have to go through. I think、yeah. the, the Out of London trainees are much happier, much nicer people. Whenever I、mm. go to conferences and I meet them, you know they're they're happy.、Yeah. None of them have to do research. Yeah.、Uh, none of them have to, you know they, they, they don't feel any pressure. They're just doing what they love, and that's it. And、uh, you know taking time doing it, and yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The, one of the questions I was going to ask, and you touched on it, was what advice would you give to budding cardiologists who do want to. Go into cardiology as a specialty, which is very hyper competitive, and then obviously something like London.、Um, I would say that on top of all the things that you need on your form, so the publications, the presentations,、yeah. audits, etc.,、um, there needs to be something else about you,、mm-hmm. just a, something else that you know that you have done, that you're good at, that you're interested in, that you can talk about. It doesn't even need to be medical, to、mm. be honest. But it's just something that you know that can really bring yourself out in the interview,、um, and I think that's really important. You don't have to be, you know, a marathon runner. You don't have to、mm. be, you know, like you know, an, an Olympic medalist or anything. <laughs> it's just something else. So I think something else.、Um, 
yeah I, just... I think that's I think that's that's with anything really um everyone now has that everyone yeah. has something on the side that they're doing really well or that yeah. they're passionate about and I think that's really it's really nice to see because I've helped out with a few interviews yeah and it's nice to see that yeah um yeah Amazing. that's that's what I'd say definitely so it kind of brings on to the second point is a lot of people are probably thinking Nabila, she smashed it. She's already a cardiologist. Why on earth would she go and do a PhD? Who would on earth, you know, would do the grueling four years or five <laughs> years of more research? Tell us the logic, the framework. <laughs> there was no logic. I was told <laughs> if you don't do a PhD, you won't get a job. Yeah. And that <laughs> is the hard truth. Basically. Is it? Is it the so, truth? Like, um, Obviously, we had Rohit and he said that and then his argument was kind of he did a PhD because he's genuinely interested in scientific research. He kind of loves that um, and he shouldn't really do it. But do we really need to do a PhD if we do want to stay in London in a big hospital, which is obviously everyone's goal and aim? That's what that's the rumour, unfortunately. That mm. is the rumour from our training programme directors, from our peers, from our mentors. Yeah. You know, if you want to stay in London, if you want to be in a teaching hospital, you need to have a higher degree. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just it's just one of those things that everyone is expected to have a higher degree. Mm. If you have a genuine interest in academia, then fine, mm. you know, absolutely do it. But if you just want to be an amazing cardiologist, I do not think that you need to do it. Okay. And I do not think that should, mm. you know, you should be, lose any points when you go for the consultant job. Mm -hmm. But um yeah, in my case, it was a very last minute decision. Um, and, you know, I was, I was umming and ahhing and I just thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to come out and do research, but it's going to be something that I want to do on mm -hmm. my own terms. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm doing a clinical, more clinical based project rather than a basic science, you know, I'm not interested in oh. looking at microscopes or slides <laughs> or anything like that. Proteins, you know? right? Like some, some exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I, I just, I'm just not. So, um, mm. yeah, I'm doing it on, in something that um, I'm interested in. It's keeping up a skill. So it's in echo. Um, mm. I'm seeing patients, and yeah, it's it's something that I'm happy that I'm doing now. Um, I, I'm sure if we had this interview in a few years' time, I'd probably say everyone should do it mm. because mm. you grow up so much. Yeah. There's something about taking time out to do research that you just become so confident in. In yourself and your skills mm. you do a lot of soul searching in that time because you're working on your own a lot of the time mm. you figure out that you can work on your own how you how you actually study how you do things mm. i've personally grown so much in these couple of years already than i have in all of my training mm. um and i was speaking to my supervisor today and he said that's because you're now becoming a member of the profession rather than just the doctor yeah mm. so you're actually becoming a cardiologist and part of the society yeah. rather than just a doctor going through the training mm -hmm. um you know you're, you're thinking about expanding and why certain things happen but it's not even just the research it's you know it's the people that you speak to the people that you meet you know it's not doctors it's scientists and you have mm -hmm. to relay information to them in a way that they'll understand and you know you have to i've been speaking to a lot of people in the ccgs for example I've been speaking to NHS England a lot, you know, and you have to speak to people in a way that they understand, but also it teaches you about, you know, just the breadth of the field yeah. and mm. what 
roles people have and i think yeah i think that that's the part that i'm grateful for yeah Amazing. yeah what, what do you think about the fact that though you need a phd for a job or the rumor is that because for example, uh, if you take medical school, uh, when everyone was at medical school, the way you differentiate was publications, right? To get the best jobs, you need publications and conferences. Now everyone has it. And so the UKFPO just basically removed all of that. I think last year they just removed all points for anyone who's published anything. Um, because eventually it becomes a baseline, right? Everyone will have a PhD because you have to do it. And then how do you differentiate? Um, what's your opinion on sort of having to get these things for the sake of getting it i understand if you're passionate it's a different case um yeah what do you think yeah i don't uh, i think it's unfair and um honestly i think these things should be reviewed and i think it should be something that people should be told before they apply to the specialty mm. because we all need to plan our lives we all need to you know we need to figure out what we want to do and how our training pathway is going to be yes these things may change um yeah covid but you know like I think I just think it's unfair personally. I think it's unfair where people already feel that they need to take time out. You know, sometimes you feel like you're on a momentum in your training, and then you take you step back, yeah. and then yeah. you lose confidence in your clinical abilities because you haven't done anything for so long, and then you go back, and you're you're a year away from being a consultant, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> I need to. I've got to brush up on everything. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it's fair at all and I think that's something that should be stated clearly rather than you know hearsay I think it's something that should be stated clearly that you know this is something that we require if you want to stay in London yeah. or this is something that we do not require um, or you know and even these forms with desirable and non-desirable that again <laughs> is just another thing I, I'd rather just be told in black and white terms exactly we exactly. want you to do something or we don't want you to do something and that's yeah. it I think that'll so, save a lot of apprehension. You just yeah. know. You don't want to sit down and do a PhD. You buckle down, you do it, and you get over with. This, yeah. this grey area of medicine is causing havoc. Um, we've kind of talked about the cardiology and the research. How are you all balancing it now? Um, your husband, your partner is an ENT reg surgeon, super busy. ENT is the nice part of surgery. Like, if I had to pick surgery, I'd pick ENT. Um, <laughs> and obviously, you have daughters. How are you kind of managing it do you still have the you know a lot of people say if you're a doctor you can't really have the fulfillment of motherhood because you're not there for your kids and you probably have nannies and all of that stuff like how is it for you as someone doing it right now it's hard um i don't think anyone ever has the right answer and mm. it's a question that i get asked probably the most um yeah. i have good days and bad days and that's the truth you know good days i'm on the good days, I feel like I'm on top of everything. You know, I've dropped my kids to school. I've done loads of work. I've started writing up a paper and then I see them in the evening, give them a bath, sit with them for dinner, put them to sleep. Good days. Bad days, I don't see them at all. Um, oh, wow. I've had, you know, so like, it, it, I have good and bad days. What I what I will say to everyone is that um, there's always going to be guilt when you become a mum. And... Um, regardless if you're there with them all the time or if, if you're not. So it's better to be a happy mum, to feel fulfilled, do something that you're that you enjoy because then your children see you happy. Like my my daughters know that I go to work, I try and fix broken hearts. I I come back, I'm happy. We mm. talk about what I did and 
that's it. And, and, and they know now that, okay, money is going out to work. And when I grow up, I'll do the same. And that's, mm. that's what I want them to know. Yeah. I want them to, to, to know that, that that's how you become part of society. You mm. end up working and doing whatever you want to do. And, mm. but that makes you happy. It fulfills you. That's part of life. And I just want them to be proud of me. And I, you know, as females, I want them to see that they can do that. That there are roles for them within society where they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Absolutely. So, no, definitely. And it's nice to see you're refreshing and you kind of share your challenges openly. A lot of people kind of show the good and hide the bad. And you think, you know, super mom cardiologist and they never share. Whereas you, you kind of give an honest account. And sometimes that's more beneficial than seeing someone that can do it all. Um, we're conscious of time um, before we wrap up um, what advice would you give to budding cardiologists particularly females um, that do want to pursue it but feel on edge haven't seen much confidence in the NHS or the specialty what would you tell them I would say there's always an exception to whatever you see mm. do your research make sure that you are doing or you're pursuing cardiology for the right reasons, remove any external factors and um, think about what you want to do and how you see yourself. You can change things. Mm. You don't have to follow the same path that everyone else has done. You can be the change and you can make it easier for all your pre uh, predecessors. So I think the most important thing is in your life, you need to do something that you enjoy doing and the rest will follow. If you enjoy something, you don't think about time. You don't think about anything else because mm. you enjoy it. You get the fulfillment from it. So mm. I think, yeah, for, for budding cardiologists, make sure that it's for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're hitting failure, we all hit failure. That just makes you stronger. That makes you grow, and it makes you want it even more. And you'll come out stronger for sure. You'll be a much better candidate from that. So yeah. No. Don't Amazing. worry. Don't let the setbacks get you. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Um, it's been a massive pleasure meeting you, Nabila, and um, hearing your story. It's it's inspiring, uh, and like I'm said, you can convey information we can't. You know, we you know we're not females or we're not mothers, and you know we could, we could give advice, but they don't want to hear it from us, right? They want to hear it from someone like yourself. <laughs> exactly. And we have a responsibility to kind of share that. Uh, but thank you ever so much. We wish you all the best in your PhD. Thanks for having me on. It's been lovely. No nice way. Monday evening. I know it's Amazing. been good fun.